This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of Monday, September 4th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Darian and Devin Michael grew up in central Indiana, played sports, went to college, tried a few things to get their career started, and ultimately launched a tech firm together. They have some juicy stories from their early days of grinding that would resonate with other tech founders, like starting with the wrong sales strategy, struggling for months without revenue, and slowly building a base of investors. There are a few things that are relatively unique. First, they're brothers. And we all know that it's often not easy for family members to work together. Second, they recently reached an important milestone with a $4.5 million fundraising round. And third, they are among the few company founders in any industry sector who are black. Businesses majority owned by black or African-American people accounted for only 3% of all U.S. firms that were classifiable by the race and ethnicity of their owners in 2020, according to the Pew Research Center. And the Michaels have made hiring people from underrepresented populations a priority at their company, which is called Qualify. The issues of diversity and inclusion dovetail into the mission of Qualify. The company sells software that helps employers automate the hiring process. Their first major offering allowed job candidates to respond to pre-recorded questions in their early stages of the interview process. The information is transcribed and relayed to the employer, allowing the company to screen candidates much more quickly than it could through person-to-person conversations. It's easier for companies to avoid bias in the screening process while evaluating transcribed interviews, and they can keep the process as fair as possible by asking everyone the same carefully written pre-recorded questions. In this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast, Darian and Devin join us for an in-depth interview about how they work together as brothers, the inspiration they've received from their family, which includes an older brother with a Pro Bowl career in the NFL, how they handle the roller coaster of startup life, obstacles that black entrepreneurs face, and the importance of them of diversity as they grow the company. Here's our conversation. my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Darian and Devin Michael, co-founders of Qualify. Darian is the CEO. Devin is the chief operating officer. Guys, just so listeners can get a fix on your voices, and as a little tip of the hat to the Qualify interview process, I'm going to ask you both the same question. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Darian, what do you admire about Devin? Oh, wow. We're going deep off of that. <laughs> <laughs> what do I admire about Devin? That's a good question. I think in the context of our working relationship, I admire that he's really honest and and straightforward and at the same time is really good with his emotions. Like he he always says that he's like the one that rides the different ways of ways of emotions, but I think that I admire that he stays in tune, you know, with those emotions and kind of keeps the people side um first in in what we do. So, um yeah. Devin, what do you admire about Devin? Let's hear it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you all about that. <laughs> what do you admire about Darren? Yeah. Um, for me, I admire that selfless leadership. I think that's something that I've always known he's selfless and humble, but like 
owning a business, running it, having, you know, multiple people under, under the business and working for us. It's like, you see it every day now that he puts them first beyond measure. And then on top of that, I probably say the most admirable thing is that we, he makes sure that I'm his brother first. And that's like special to me. Uh, Darren, you're the oldest. Yes. Is that right? So the older, you, uh, I'm not the oldest brother. Mm, we have an older right, brother, but right. older than this guy. How old are you? I am about to be 33. I'm 32, turned 33 here in uh, about a month. Okay. So that makes you. I will be 29 in 24 days or so. So let me ask about your older brother. He played safety for 11 years in the National Football League. That's Quinton, Michael. Played primarily for the Indianapolis Eagles. Had almost 700 career tackles. I have I have two brothers, so this is a real question. Uh, have you ever been tackled <laughs> by your brother? <laughs> yeah, growing up. So it's it's funny. Like I think that's part of why how I was to Devin when we were growing up was because <laughs> of how my older brother was with with us. Like again, he's like 10 years older than me hmm. and a football player, and I'm a scrawny basketball player 10 years his junior so he was always gentle you know retrospectively but there's nothing i could do um when it came to anything that he wanted to try to tease me with so um yeah for the sure. michael sandwich okay. yeah michael sandwiches <laughs> so he was fame. 14 years older than you Devin. yeah so I and mean, i got the worst of it probably <laughs> so i had really? both of them deal you know to deal with but the michael sandwich is where q we call him would be on the top Darren would be in the middle. I would be on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd both be on top of me. So that was my life, my life growing up. <laughs> that is horrible. Wow. Yeah. So what is it like to have an older brother who is like obviously incredibly talented? I mean, it's somebody who literally you can see on television every day of the, not every day, every week of the year, practically. How does that affect your perception of what is possible with your life? And maybe like how you feel like the bar has been set for you. When you when you're growing up, I, I have a strong take on this. I don't know if Devin does, but this is something that's like always been a motivating factor for me. And it actually, like that exact thing, kind of was represented, like I think, in high school for me. But um, it's not only my brother. Like we have like my parents and their network of friends. We have a lot of success stories in our family. So for me, the I never felt the pressure like I had to do those things, but I felt like anything is possible, that there's not really a ceiling on, you know, what what we can achieve. And, you know, Devin and I, we have a, a cousin that we kind of share this kind of belief is it's not really a matter of if, but when, in terms of when, when we're going to, you know, see those sorts of successes. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's what it was for me. So especially with my brother, like, yeah, he was, you know, humble beginnings, undrafted, and played a long time and had a pro bowl, a pro bowl career. So yeah. Why, you know, why not? Yeah. I think echo everything he said, but the only thing I'd say to like key in on is that every success story that we know of from our network and family and brother, all that stuff, every one of them like was not handed anything. So I, I know there's success stories where it's like, yeah, I, you know, I kind of just inherited the success. Like, like he said, <clears throat> her brother was literally overlooked. You know, my dad came from the lower ninth ward of New Orleans and now is, you know, corporate success and all of his network is kind of the same. So it's the the story of 
the work ethic. I think that is innate in us and kind of the unwillingness to die <laughs> is, is, is like unwillingness to go away is the, the characteristic that I see throughout. And you guys mentioned you both played sports at a high level. I mean, up to the collegiate level for sure. Right. Very quickly. Give me the highlights. What did you guys play in, in college? I played basketball and ran track um, at Indiana Wesleyan. Yeah, I ran track um, at Indiana State. So, yeah, so Darren, you went to Indiana Wesleyan. Uh, you got your degree in finance and entrepreneurship in uh, 2013. Devin, you went to ISU. You got a degree in operations and supply chain management in 2017. But when you guys were younger, my impression is you guys were very entrepreneurial. I mean, you. I mean, this wasn't just like mowing lawns. You guys came up with a bunch of ways to make money. Can you just give me some of the highlights of the things that you tried to do? Yeah, I mean, all of them were like failed like <laughs> <laughs> failures. All of them were like amounted to, you know, rounded to zero in terms of what we were able to produce. But I was actually thinking about, you know, some of these things recently. One, I think, was in high school or college, um, maybe right before I went to college, like flipping, that's when I kind of got into like selling stuff on eBay. And there's one I remember where I was like, I know how to sell stuff on eBay, but like none of my family really does. And I made like this flyer to bring to the cookout to be like, Hey, I'll sell your stuff on eBay. <laughs> and, um, I don't think anybody took me up on it, but it was just uh, like, I always was like trying to find, you know, different things to do you know, different things to invent or just different hustles. Um, My high school hustle was uh, selling shoes. But at the time when I was in high school, everyone liked galaxy print. So I figured out how to paint galaxy on shoes and then took like a white Ked looking shoe, bought it off of Alibaba and bought a set of them, painted them and sold them for, I want to say I sold them for like a hundred, maybe not a hundred bucks, but close. And they were, you know, cheap shoes to buy so i actually made money off it it was really cool and i used it for a project for like deca which is oh, which is a statewide like entrepreneurship yeah, program yeah. for high school i think yep so it was cool yeah he did the first uh, thing he he um did the same print on one of my favorite uh, hats that i still <laughs> still wear i still it. wear so yeah yeah now unfortunately i'm gonna have to fast forward a little bit through your early careers darren you after graduating worked as a financial analyst for a couple of years after college. In 2015, you were one of the earliest hires for the company Viral Launch in is it Indianapolis. Is yep. that right? Okay. So real quick, remind folks, what is Viral Launch and describe what your role was and how it evolved over the years? Yeah. So Viral Launch, um, we started off as, if you want to think of like search engine optimization, but in the context of Amazon. So we figured out how to get people first page ranking uh, for anything that they wanted to sell. So we, we helped third party sellers um, launch and grow their businesses. And so it started off as that. And then we added creative services and then I think like five or six more software products on top of that to help them understand the landscape of Amazon and which products to sell. And my role was very similar to a co-founder. I was the vice president and oversaw the the business operation. So all the internal stuff, I always kind of referred to myself as like the the company trash can, like whatever anybody <laughs> else wasn't able to do, like just send it to me and I'll figure it out. So well, you, yeah. Was that right? You were the second hire? 
or the yeah. the second person after the founder? Yeah, yeah. So the CEO, he is a friend of mine from college. We're both on the same track team, and we had worked on a side project before that didn't really. Another one of the things that didn't really <laughs> go anywhere, but he had started Viral Launch and it started to pick up steam. He had a co-founder um, that he ended up buying out and brought me on to kind of help run the business and and help scale it. And I mean, it, it grew significantly. I mean, it was 70 employees or so at one point. Yeah, we went from like he and I to about 70 people in roughly three years. And we were like mostly bootstrapped throughout that time. Um, so we were, yeah, it was really fun. He, I think when I left, I was like 27 years old and he was a couple of years younger than me. And so we're just a couple of young guys running this, this company that was going really well. And yeah, like there's a lot of learning lessons, especially being, you know, young leaders, but I, I enjoyed my time there for the most part. Um, and so, yeah. And one of the things that you, that you did a lot of was hiring, which my understanding is led to an aha moment yeah. about hiring. Can you kind of take me through that? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I was managing a variety of different, you know, internal ops responsibilities. And one of those was the, the HR and recruiting function. And so I had a full plate, but I also needed to, you know, screen people, recruit people. And so I just found myself on the phone a lot, asking the same questions over and over again. And I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I, you know, researched and tried to figure out what are the right questions to ask and like be structured about it. And so it's very scripted. And I was like, I should just record these questions and, you know, send it out to the candidates and they can take it on their own time. And then I also, I live, on, you know, up north and was driving downtown every day. So I was like, I could treat it like kind of like a podcast for interviews and knock out, you know, probably like 10 of these on the way to work and, you know, be more, my brain works on like trying to figure out, you know, the most efficient ways to do things. And so that's where that, you know, kind of started for me, uh, you know, the journey of qualify. And did that form like in such a way in your head where you're like, you know, this really could be something let's, let's see what I can do with this. Am I, am I off time and see, like maybe develop this as a side project? Did I read that right? I would say yes, but like, (laughs) <laughs> all of my ideas I feel that way I'm like oh this is like this is the next thing you know but I think this is one where like Devin and I again with that commute that I had from work every day I found myself calling Devin a lot and just talking about you know new ideas we both are entrepreneurs and so we were both you know sharing you know different things that we were working on or different ideas that we had and I think this one resonated you know between the both of us right because yeah, I mean you had a part-time position at about this time as a community relations coordinator for a group called senior helpers. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so glorified. I love it. Mainly it was, I had a food truck that we had started in college and was doing that full time, but during the winter was doing the senior helpers thing. And so I was hiring caregivers, which is more suited to what we serve now, like those types of hires. And so I was like, man, I'm asking that I have a piece of paper that I have to run everybody through his 10 questions they pass the test, we move on. So I was used to phone screening that way. And so the idea of like standardizing it and making me not have to be on the phone, I was like, that has legs for sure. So yeah, that was, I think when, if he has, he has millions of ideas, but like if I can agree that one of them is good, it's usually worth a somewhat of a pursuit, I'd say. Okay. He's a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> He's a lot admittedly, of bad ideas. Admittedly. That's the, the that's the process though, right? Yeah. I mean, putting the ideas down, if you don't do that, then things get constipated, right? I mean, talking them out is what you got to do, right? That's always been my uh, <laughs> in my experience <laughs> as a non-entrepreneur. Uh, that's always worked for me. So this potentially could have been, I mean, something that 
kind of limped along for a while. But then in uh, January 2019, uh, you were laid off from the company, I mean, that you didn't exactly found, but you'd been with for its entire lifetime. Yeah. So what happened there? Yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough, uh, a tough, not even a situation. It was just a, like a tough moment, probably. What ultimately happened was, you know, I think my time at the business had just kind of run its course. We, we started to hire more leadership. Um, and towards the end of my time, we ended up bringing on investors um, and, you know, started formalizing a board and things of that nature. And then also like the, the tailwinds that we had seen, you know, in terms of our growth were starting to change a little bit and it just didn't, you know, make sense for, for me to be there anymore, at least in terms of like the leadership's eyes. And, and so, yeah, it was, you know, me first. And then like, there's a, at least a couple of rounds of layoffs, you know, shortly after, but that was kind of the, the forcing function. Cause qualify had been a side project for a little bit um, before that. And ultimately that was like kind of the, I guess, kicking the pants that was needed to like say, Hey, it's either, I guess it could have been other terms than now or never, but in my mind it was like, it's now or never. And I kind of want to live with no regrets on, you know, what could have been. So, so that, that was the opening where like, Hey, I could spend all my time now yeah. working on, on qualify. And so I, you, I guess would have talked to Devin about it and said, are you in? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, like we were already kind of, yeah, we already like working at this point. It was like me, Devin, and the um, Keenan and Deshaun, our two other co-founders, were basically. I think it was like Monday or Tuesday evenings was our kind of standard. At that time, our all hands meeting was, (laughs) you know, at like eight o'clock at night. You know, after you know, I get the kids down and stuff like that. Oh, so it was. I mean, it was. We were doing. It was pretty formed. I mean, the 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 germ of it was formed, and the team was formed. Yeah, at that time. Yeah, in in January of two thousand. It was just we were expecting it to be a side thing for all of us for a while, and then it became his. I was like, all right, I gotta go. (laughs) I do. I remember the meeting because I was like, yeah, this is. I was like, hey guys, I just. I don't have a job anymore, so this is (laughs) this needs to work. (laughs) (laughs) So you two were the technically the the. Two original founders, but your other two partners, tell me again who they are. Yeah, that's uh, Deshaun and Keenan. Um, they're now our VP of engineering and VP of product, respectively, but um, they're both engineers by background. And uh, Deshaun's self taught. He's also an accounting major and has an MBA and was Devin's co founder um, at Twisted Fry, the food truck. And then Keenan's been at different startups and then large companies like Salesforce um, on the engineering side. So, yeah, they, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be anywhere without them. They built, you know, the first versions of, of Qualify um, and, and really got us. So, is this the first time you're really kind of significantly working together as brothers? Yeah. So did you guys have to have a conversation at some point? Like, we've heard that this is very difficult for some families. <laughs> How are we going to approach this? I don't know that we ever had like an explicit conversation, but I remember us saying, or you saying, it's like, we're family first, business partner second. Yeah. That's about all that we've probably done to talk about. Like, it was just assumed, I think, that we were. Yeah, I think like one of the things that we did early, even with our other two co-founders would just like establish, you know, certain things at the beginning, like equity and stuff like that. Like when it was just Devin and I, I was like, I want it to be 50, 50. I don't want anything like coming into play there. So like that was, I think a good move. And then same thing, just, you know, cause some people in some companies 
don't have those conversations until it's too late and, and then like emotions get involved and and so we want to establish it early agree on it early and then move on from there so i think that's helped so are the four of you equal partners no we're not equal mm-hmm. um but De- devin and i are so that's how it started and then right. we yeah. brought the other two in after we had already you know kind of started to build momentum and like have an understanding of the idea so you two are still equal partners but you have a greater share than the other two co-founders correct okay gotcha how long was the conversation about what roles you would play in the company? Like, is it was just Darian said, I'll be the CEO. <laughs> and then you're like, okay. That's fun. I mean, that's a really good question. I don't think we ever assumed it anyway, any way different. Like, <laughs> um, it's his idea. And if, to me at the time, which is probably a naive way to think at the time, but I was like, it's your idea. It's your company. Like you are in charge of your idea. I still in some ways behave that way. So, you know, we talk about future ideas and things like that. I'm like, you're going to, I'm going to be a CEO someday <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you're working with me. So that'd be funny and a funny dynamic, but yeah, I think it was just assumed. I think more of what it was, is like the role breakdown beyond title, like who's in charge of sales, who's in charge of product, who's in charge of engineering, all those things took time. And especially with me and his, cause we both, we're selling in the beginning. We both were doing marketing. We both, the only thing I didn't do that he did was like the boring finance and ops stuff. Like, <laughs> so I think we had to like delineate how to work together in this, in those areas of go to market. But other than that, I think. I always say like, we're both like Swiss army knives, just like ha- kind of have different domains. Like I gravitate towards the operational side, the finance side, and then Devin's always been on like the go-to-market. He was our first designer as well. And so, yeah, like all those areas were like customers, it's more customer facing. Devin has been like the everything man for that. And then I've done all of the, I've helped on, you know, where, where I can and like on, you know, like the go-to-market side, everyone has to be kind of selling, but then, yeah, I'll do all the, the books and stuff like that. So, and it seems like it's been going pretty well. I mean, four years down the road here, everybody's still, yeah, uh, still brothers. Everybody's right. still, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everyone's okay with their roles. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, it's been it's been really good. You know, I, I wanted to go back real quick to athletics. Is there a way that you guys use athletics as a framework at all for running the business? And, and I'm talking more than just like saying, "Hey, we're all teammates here." I mean, is there something kind of structurally at all, or any way that you approach? Uh, maybe dealing with other employees. Yeah, I think the team. <laughs> I think the team. I try to be a little bit more conscious about it, but I think the team probably gets tired of my sports analogies or things of that nature. Um, I try to I try to mix it up a little bit, but a lot of what I've learned about leadership has come from my time in sports, especially my coaches at, at Indiana Wesley, and a lot of like the core principles, and even some of them I've you know formed into the you know the values that we uphold at qualify and so um, whether they know it or not like it has influenced the way that you know we're building so what would be an example of, of something that you remember a coach saying or- yeah so like at indiana wesleyan it's a you know a christian institution we had like the mantra of i am third um, which is god first other second yourself third so it's like a framework of you know humility and like prioritization and so um, the way that that's kind of built into, you know, qualifies, you know, being unified and selfless, putting others before yourself and that, you know, team success is going to lead to individual success and having that sort of mindset. And so 
that's, I think, a good example of that. Like, not sports directly, but just some of the, you know, principles that I've learned by, you know, being a part of a, a good team. Devin, is there anything that you... Yeah, um, I think I've learned more or used more of the... I coach now at a university, and so that's probably more of what I use than me as an athlete because coaching brings out a different thought process in sports. So most of the time I use... Um, kind of, I can use like very tactical things. Like I'm a jumps coach, so I coach uh, long jump. And so it's like, you have to run through the board. So momentum, like momentum is a, a principle that I have at least recently just been really big on. And then you could also look at like committing to the commitment is another one. I, I'm stealing that from my head coach at the school, but commit, you commit to something and then you have to commit to the fact that you committed. And I think that's the the real part, which is like every day you wake up and you're like, you have to remember what you said you were going to do and go and do it. So those are probably the two areas. That'd be good for marriage counseling too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <it would. laughs> so Qualify was founded early 2019. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the, the main challenges in that first year? <laughs> All that, every, everything. I keep, I tell the team to this day, like it's never been easy and it's not going to be easy now. I think that's just uh, some companies might have it a little bit easier. They just take off and they have other problems to figure out. Like for us, um, I think the biggest thing that we've been able to do is survive and see those next milestones. And I liken us to cockroaches in that way. Like we, <laughs> we, we figure out a way to survive. But in the early days, like what we have is a new, like it's a new idea to the audience that we serve. There's other products that do things that might be somewhat similar, but ours is pretty unique. And so I think the challenge for us was we didn't really know the landscape from, yeah, we know we need to sell to recruiters, but like, do we sell to recruiters? Do we sell to their, you know, their bosses, like an HR director, a town acquisition director, which companies are going to be the most valuable to go after and who's going to buy it from us. So like, yeah, understanding our ICP is still, you know, a part of like current day uh, thing that we're continuously navigating and then, you know, figuring out how to sell we've sold things before, but didn't have sales experience in this capacity. So those are a couple, I have plenty of others, but I'll, yeah. I'll let Devin share. I mean, we spent probably, I would say we spent almost a year selling to the wrong people. And that was like, they would say yes to beta test and then they would not use it at all. So we got the, like the, it's almost like we always get enough validation to, keep going but we're like not getting the traction that we thought we would over the course of the first year and so for the yeah. first for the first year you were just you had no, you had no struggling. revenue struggling probably maybe had a little years. bit we had like, like yeah, a little again rounded to zero like yeah, like, <laughs> we were charging like 99 bucks a year though like um, it was so yeah. to- totally different than what we have figured out since but yeah i mean i would say the first year we were just building stuff is what it felt like. We were just completely just com- like continuously building because we had two great, you know, developer founders with us. So we were able to crank out our ideas, but the sell the sales part was just wrong place, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Who were you selling to that you weren't supposed to be selling to? His network, which is, <laughs> which is all like tech. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and okay. tech companies, small tech companies, they were hiring, but not necessarily at the volume. Like now we know it's like folks that are hiring at like a high volume mm. where they're like doing so many phone screens, it's hard to handle versus, you know, someone else that is just 
doing a couple a yeah. week and like, yeah this you know kind of that's sucks. the thing oh. so really large organizations is what well it doesn't have to be large but larger than a startup for sure yeah. this challenge was the startup was the only place where you can get a quick yes like i'll try it they like to try things hr and you know recruiting in a more mature org is like cautious very cautious so it takes more time and we were we were kind of like getting that validation of yes but not getting the usage where this would be the usage but we had to be a little more patient so so without the revenue you were you were getting some money from investors for the first couple of years enough to kind of <laughs> keep you going <laughs> a little bit that was another challenge like okay. yeah like so like i always try to i frame it this way so when we first got started when i got laid off in january i told my wife by march We'll have investors and we'll have customers. No need to worry. Like, we'll be fine when it comes to money. And so I think the other way I tell it is, you know, I think at we probably had beta testers along the way, people that were doing stuff, but not really anything of substance. But we didn't really get a first investor check until like, I think, July or August of that year. And it was enough to last like a month or two of just me being full-time and it would be like check to check for the first two years so like from 2019 through 2020 it was like check to check um, yeah. like we to, couldn't even announce a friends and family round it was so, <laughs> it was so like yeah it would be like <clears throat> a ten thousand dollar check and as soon as that one ran out and not always too like there was like i know a couple times where it was like that check right out and then there's a month gap and then i was just hustling to figure out how we're gonna get to the next one um but so yeah. in 2021 you had a fundraising round of six hundred thousand. so what, what was the I mean, i'm assuming that's a big milestone how did that change things oh it changed it changed everything yeah because right before that devin had one of our one of our favorite investors an angel investor Put enough, put enough in for both of us to start going full time. So we were already full time at that time, and then it allowed for us to really start. Uh, like I know Deshaun came on next full time, and then Keenan later that year. Um, we also got into TechStars that year. So that's when I feel like I always tell people like 2019 is our uh, where we founded the business. 2021 is like truly like our foundational year where we started to build the team. We actually had real customers and real capital to start actually making and moves. tell folks what Techstars is. Yeah, Techstars is uh, an accelerator. Um, it's one of the more notable ones, but it's programming. They, they have, in our case, it was a cohort of 10 other uh, startup companies, and they take the, you know, usually the founders and leadership through programming and, and networking and like how to actually do this thing called <laughs> entrepreneurship and startups. And so it was really, really helpful. Yeah. And then a year later, uh, you get a $2.5 million round. So that's serious money. How did that change things? I say same. Like, this is during a time where I think the funding environment was a little bit, a lot different than it is today. But it changed things in the sense of like a little bit of one, just like validation that, hey, we, we're, we're doing, yeah, we're on to something. We're doing something. People believe us and back us and allowed us to start really building the team a bit more. And then um, I feel like all I'm doing now is talking about fundraisers. But in the, <laughs> earlier in this year, earlier this year, you had four point or yeah, four point five million dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in growth capital, which I um, take as a little bit different from the previous rounds. It's very similar. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Okay. All the names kind of blend together. Yeah, like it's it's money to allow us to you know keep you know executing on what we're doing. Um, we've continued to grow every year. Um, and at the same time, there's still challenges that we need to figure out. And um, 
this has given us, you know, the runway to to keep executing in. And just so folks have an idea, what Qualified does now, how do you describe the company? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> right now. <laughs> right now. It's interesting because <laughs> uh, we've expanded beyond what we kind of have built a name up in. Up until very recently, we just kind of, we described ourselves as the leading phone screening or phone interviewing platform. Um, and now we've expanded beyond that into different steps of the hiring process. So for folks that hire in volumes, they tend to do a lot of phone interviews, but maybe what they don't realize is that the phone interview is the biggest bottleneck in the hiring process. And so we make it asynchronous. They're able to pre-record um, their voice into the platform, asking the questions that they would typically ask. And then they can send out interviews that uh, candidates can respond to on the phone or over their mobile device um, at their convenience. And then we record the audio, transcribe responses, and allow the recruiting team to review and share with their colleagues. Um, and then now we uh, help automate and schedule the next interview. And then we have a virtual live uh, video interviewing aspect to it as well. So we can take you from that first interview through your last interview. Oh, wow. Um, That's the whole you. interview process. Though. Yeah, yeah. Right. And help you uh, hire best talent. I mean, faster. until I guess I walk in the door. I like right? that. Right. Right. I, want to talk to I like that. First, <laughs> first interview to your first last interview. interview. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> like We're working on our positioning right now. So <laughs> I might take note of that. That's okay. a good one. <laughs> How many employees do you guys have now? So we're at 16 uh, full-time employees right now. Do you guys use your own software or are you too small percent. of an organization? No, a thousand percent. So, okay. It's a very, like from day I one, it's, it. like, it's a very, <laughs> one, it's like actually been very useful. <laughs> yeah. um, but also like we're intentional about that because we want people to know what our company does when they come in. So we want them to experience it from a candidate's perspective. But then also it's like, we're busy. <laughs> like, yeah. we're, like everybody on the team has a lot of responsibilities. And so when we have hiring time periods, it's it still is a challenge because of just, everyone has to kind of rally around that together. So yeah, we definitely use Qualify. Yeah, we. I mean, we had, when we posted our sales position some months back, it was probably easily 300 applicants, you know, and you can go through first pass and disqualify some people, but you're going to be stuck with about at least 50 that are probably qualified to phone screen. And there's no way, you know, and that's the life that our, our users live every day. So it resonates for me. I was like, I'm thankful that we have this tool. <laughs> okay. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right. We're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and our interview with Darian and Devin Michael of Qualify. So I forget if this is during the, during the recorded part of our conversation or before, but you mentioned that you guys have had to lay off five people mm -hmm. just this week. You had the exact same experience with viral launch. Does that make it harder? I don't think me having gone through that made it harder. I think just the approach that we have with our team and the care that we have for our team makes that really hard. I knew it was going to be hard going into those conversations, but I, 
you know, told folks afterwards, I didn't expect it to be as difficult even as it was, you know, especially on an emotional level, um, because each, each of them have said really great things, like even on their way out, like they enjoyed working here. They enjoyed the people they work with and same for everyone on the team. And that was my priority is like one, making sure that they are hopefully taken care of and we can help them as best as possible on the way out. And then for the folks that are still here, like making sure that they feel still confident and, you know, secure and what we're doing here um, in their place in that. And so I, I personally have like learned a ton from this experience and, um, and I guess like seeing it, I'm trying to see the positives and like in everything. Um, and it's kind of like reaffirmed some things for me from like a leadership standpoint and how I approach things. So um, I guess that part has been encouraging for sure. Did anyone ask, how do we go from $4.5 million fundraise in January to laying people off? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the, the reality is, is, you know, what we were, what we're doing is, is trying to put the company in the best position as possible um, and thinking, you know, long-term about our future. Um, and so the idea is we want to make sure that we are hopefully mitigating even worse decisions or worse, you know, not decisions, but like worse calls in the future, you know, avoiding rougher, rougher waters in the future. It's been challenging for a lot of companies um, and we're not immune to that. Um, and so we still are really optimistic about the growth and like the potential of where Qualify is going. This move is, I think, validation for that. Like we're trying to make moves that will allow us to be aggressive and, and still, you know, pursue that growth, but wanting to make sure it doesn't come at, you know, an even more se uh, severe cost in the future. So that's kind of the mindset. I will say, you know, when we get, when we write stories about companies that get like significant fundraises, one of the first things we hear is, well, we're going to hire yeah. 30 people in the next three years yeah, um, or 50 people in the next five years, which, you know, it's, as you know, I mean, that's a whole new ball of wax. I mean, and managing growth is, is, a, is a big deal. Yeah. Am I intuiting here that, I mean, that you're trying to be really careful about not overgrowing? Not or, over, like we want to grow yeah. like crazy. Yeah, I guess from not a team. Over hiring. Yeah, not over hiring, I think yeah. is the Yeah. I have a hard rule now. And just from the revenue team's perspective, it's like we need to be underwater before I hire again, basically. And you when you grow, like when you're raising funds, typically it's like, hey, we're gonna raise, you know, let's call it ten million. We're gonna hire twenty salespeople now. Right. And so they a lot of companies will hire ahead of pipeline being there and things like that, that you need to sustain that 20 people you're going to bring on. And I think we've, we've learned from, you know, past decisions, like that's the opposite of what we're trying to do in the future. So now for our current team, it's like, Hey, we're going to create a new bottleneck and our calendars are going to be filled <laughs> before, <laughs> before we're ever considering hiring someone again for, you know, these positions. So, I think that's to learn like the things that I've learned. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting. I mentioned like the past time period of like fundraising environments and now and the things that we've heard and felt from like investor community is uh, still grow. Like they're still very much care about, you know, your top line growth, but like there's a lot more emphasis on your profitability and things of that nature. And so uh, just making sure we're positioning the company for those next milestones in the future. Yeah, it'll be Hopefully a win for all of us, you know, as we, we continue to do that. Now, I'm going to go way outside my comfort zone and ask questions about race and diversity. <laughs> <laughs> 
and first, it's interesting because it is really, these kind of questions are also really pertinent to your product as well. How does Qualify try to take bias out of the hiring process? Yeah. So one, what we do today is we make it a structured interview and it's also blind. So like, obviously it's audio based. They can't see the candidates. So that's the, like, mainly what we do today, but I'm excited for like the potential of how we can expand on that um, in the future for sure. So to give you an idea of what, if you don't know what structured is, it basically means you ask the same question every time, every, you know, like you did for us in the beginning, but all of our competitors for the most part use video. So when you look at like, could you say directly like qualify as a DEI tool? Not necessarily, but when you look at it in the landscape of our competition, then it becomes clear like there's a less there's a there's less opportunity for bias with our tool than another tool. So Qualify is one of the very few black owned companies really in the in the technology sphere, not just in Indianapolis. And you are 75% black owned. It's the two of you and Deshaun, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, in terms of like operating and founding, obviously we have investors and uh full cap table now, but yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of washes it out a little bit. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, in terms of your four, yeah, yeah. The, the four co-founders, primarily black, have you faced obstacles or any kind of challenges specific to being a black owned company? Anything you could isolate from your experiences? I don't know that there's been anything explicit. Like no one said like, you're black. I'm not founding. I'm not funding you. Yeah. And they're not probably going to. There's, there's things that with any systemic issue, it's happening behind closed doors and honestly not in conversation, but just in habit. But one thing I think that's a reality is we are naturally less comfortable, you know, going after. There's a few things. We're naturally less comfortable. And typically we're going to buy statistics. We're going to be less resourced in the beginning. So as black founders, you typically don't have a great family and friends opportunity. Right. So that's like usually a company's first round is friends and family round. So we are fortunate. We have. We do have a decent network, so we were able to get through, but a lot of other founders are going to have a broader network that they can run to, to get that done. But I remember one specific like situation where we're, you know, we're pitching for, I think a pretty good size investment from this company. And it was about 40 people or so in the room. And then there's me and Darian and everyone else was probably 50 years old and white, 50 years old and above and white. And few women as well. So it was mostly 50 plus year old white males. And then there's me and Darian, like in the bottom left corner of the Zoom room. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is this is wild to see. And since then, I think a lot of these, you know, firms have made an effort. But, you know, how long that effort lasts, I don't know. But I just remember that I mean, feeling. An effort to get more diverse people yeah. into the room yeah, for exactly. the interview. Exactly. Example, like yeah. on the other side of the table, not right. our side. Not on your side of the side, um, yeah. But yeah, I remember the level of like discomfort and a little bit of fear, just like, man, clearly something's different here with us, you know, (laughs) but nothing explicit. And honestly, we ended up getting the money. Oh, you did? (laughs) It it was fine, but it's the, it's like the the first moment I think matters. And like when you walk in the room and you feel already kind of like, yeah, yeah, a certain way, it's just a little strange, but. Yeah, so it's the way that you receive the the experience mm-hmm. is it makes it more difficult. Yeah, for example, and I wanted to get your perspective on diverse hiring in general, in part because, I mean, you're a human resources company, and you guys have made hiring people 
from a variety of cultures, backgrounds, and identities a priority. So uh, what percentage of qualifies workforce would you say is from underrepresented communities? Yeah, I'd say it's, I believe it's right at or uh, pretty close to 50%, um, which honestly I was like, that's legit. Take it when I was seeing that. Yeah. And when we say underrepresented, who, what do I mean? One, I think that that is uh, not a challenging phrase, but I guess that the stat I threw out is like specific to just like kind of ethnic background. I would say like non white people, um, yeah. you know, that would be represented 50%, you know, on our team. Mm-hmm. I think we're pretty close to 50% male to female as well. Um, Are you guys including yourselves in the? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. So, gotcha. so I think then there's like obviously a lot of other ways to like break that down. But yeah. So, including yourselves, there are 16. Yes. People mm-hmm. who work for Qualify. Okay. Correct. Founders and employees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and a good amount of women. Yeah. 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 Close to half the team. Close to half. Okay. Yeah. It's great. Honestly, that's that's probably been the best part. And it's, you know, Darren and I have we've done some stuff intentionally, but really I think what's naturally happened is as we've been more diverse, more diversity is attracted to it. You know what I mean? So we're attracting people from literally all types of worlds and it's it's wild we could make in our team right now we could create a band we could create a a film like we have people that have just done a lot of things that are just crazy um and you don't get that if you don't shoot for diversity just we're creating something special and i think that's why it's hard when people leave you know they feel it you know whether they leave by choice or not like everyone feels it because it's a piece of like the it's like taking a piece of your own character out of the equation. So, yeah, it's definitely a special place. Yeah. But what Devin said, like, I think is cool and important to hit on is, like, I think some companies have a challenge because they didn't do it at the beginning and they didn't have that intentionality at the beginning. I think it's hard to, like, not necessarily course correct, but I know candidates look at your company and see who works there and they may be put off by the lack of diversity. And so I think what Devin said, like, it gets – easier like we want i think there's opportunities for us to be even more intentional but i do think it started off with intentionality and has gotten like easier to do effectively Mm -hmm. so i think there's still people who question like why is it important to have a a diverse workforce and their counter argument is like we don't care what people look like we just want to have the most qualified people Uh, assuming there is a set like a very clear set of of uh, qualifications that you can enumerate uh, and just and rank people. When you hear that argument, how do you respond to that? I think it's a. I'm going to give my quick answer, and I you should probably give the bigger answer. But for me, it's important because, yeah, personally, because there's rooms that we will get left out of, and so I'm fighting against that to make sure to include people in the room. When we, if we have control over the room, I want you included in it. Because when we don't have control over the room, we can very well be excluded. So what does that mean, control of the room? Like the room being, this is a place where a lot of people that are from underrepresented groups want to be a part of tech, right? But for whatever reason, it's just been historically not the case. Like it's hard to break into. And so when we have a chance to make that change, like I want to be really intentional about it because I could be one of those people that couldn't break into it. I just happened to have founded a company that has the ability to hire people. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's my why, but right. it's like, well, to answer the broader question, I think you could get like, a better answer. I think you're saying like, 
while I have some authority and some influence, you're going to try to make a difference. I think exactly. exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But the why generally is bigger than that. Like there's a lot of advantage, <laughs> which that's what I was saying. You could probably. Answer. Yeah. Like one of our core values is centered around diversity. And I like the way that we break it down because it's one diversity for diversity's sake. Like one, <laughs> since it's our company, we want it to be diverse, like purely for no other reason than that. Like, you know, full stop there. But especially what we do, um, the other piece to it is for the advantages that it brings. I think we may be like unique compared to other companies, but I think other companies might have their own specific reasons why diversity matters. But for us being involved in all things people um, from what we do internally to what we do on the product side, um, it's crucial that we have a diverse team. And it's come up, I think even recently with like, we're adding some accessibility um, features and enhancements to the product. And I think that has been highlighted by people that we've brought onto the team that are blind spots probably for, uh, you know, some us, you know, on the co-founding team. And it just gives us perspective on how to think about approaches to our own product and approaches to how we deliver, you know, deliver that to yeah. others. So if your, your clients are, I mean, they have the entire universe <clears throat> of people that they could hire from of every color, every ethnicity, every ability, every lifestyle that it is to your benefit then to have a team that can help represent all the interests of those people. You said this week, Darren, at a panel discussion at the Indiana Technology and Innovation Association conference, you'd like to see more diversity in Indiana's tech industry. You know, obviously people have been talking about this for more than a decade. What do you think can be done that isn't already being done? It's a good question. I may not be like the most educated to like, give like specific tactics, but I do think it starts with intentionality. I think nothing is going to be done without actual intentionality behind it. Cause people like Devin said, can make, you know, pledges, but you know, if there's no action behind that, then no movement is going to happen. So I think one, it just starts with having intentionality starting at like a leadership level. So if we're looking at, you know, us as a, an example, like we're intentional about trying to make our team diverse. And I think that starts to have ripple effects in terms of the network that we bring in, the exposure to um, other companies within our networks here in Indy. Um, I think that just continues to, you know, continues to cascade down. And hopefully over time, you know, companies like us, when we create wealth and value that then, you know, flows back into the ecosystem, but especially the people that we've brought into our teams, they go out and, and do great things and bring more people into the ecosystem. And so that's the sort of like kind of mindset, but I think it starts with having like a understanding that, yes, this is a problem. And we are, we as a collective will not be as good if we don't have some intentionality behind it. Yeah. It makes me think about some of the, like program programming for early talent. I was part of a great program called the externship. Is that the, the tech point? Tech program? point. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And we've hired externs too. Like it's been, a, it's a great program. I think the challenge with any program like this is how you bring awareness to underrepresented groups. So I found out about the extern through him. Luckily, you know, if the programming isn't there, at our school, then we're not, we're not aware of these things that could help us get into the ecosystem, then help us become founders, right? So I think you have that issue and they're doing better since, but there's also other programs that are like network driven, like 
almost literally can keep us out forever. So it's like if you were in it, then you go and recruit at your school for it. So it kind of keeps you in the same place the whole time. And I feel like that has that's a broken system as well. If you're shooting for diversity, if you're not, then it's going to work. But I think the more we can get to the early talent better, faster, more accessibly, um, the more diverse that we're going to see this like ecosystem become. So Yeah, there was a separate panel discussion at the, the ITIA conference where Christopher Day of Elevate Ventures said his organization and others must do a better job of connecting with students. So it sounds like, I mean, th- that is a potential connection point where companies could find diverse employees where maybe they're not really exploiting all the opportunities. Yeah, diverse employees for sure, yeah. I think, so I don't think anyone of these firms and programs in the state or in the city are not connecting with students. I think that's not the issue. It's where we're connecting with students is where I've always kind of seen pitfalls. Like go to the places where maybe you're a little uncomfortable is kind of my encouragement to these groups is sometimes if you want a certain population, you need to go find the population, not expect them to find you because it's not it's not going to happen. Well, you guys are busy guys. I know you got to get moving. Uh, I did want to ask about your brother again. What is he up to? <laughs> and are you tired of hearing people ask about your brother? No. They rarely do anymore. Less, yeah. It used Super to be retired. all the time. It used to be all the time. Uh, growing up in high school, especially here in Indy, uh, we grew, we both grew a, a disdain for the the Colts. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but no, he he's retired from the NFL. Um, and it's actually pretty cool because now there's a like, we, part of, I think, our collective dream is to, start a business with um, not only us two, but our dad and our brother, our older brother. But now there's potential hope on the technology <laughs> side. He just got his, I forget what the certification is, but- Pen uh, testing. Yeah, in cybersecurity. So you are kidding me. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, always been like a kind of a nerdy guy underneath, <laughs> underneath the athlete, you know, <laughs> sculpting, I guess. Yeah, That's yeah. incredible. What, is he, what does he want to do with that? He wants to be a- uh, he wants to do ethical hacking, right? So he wants to try to find, at least I believe he wants to try and you know, penetrate com- yeah. Yeah, penetrate the code base and see if there's, you know, vulnerabilities leaks. and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Which oh. we just did for, you know, we do that regularly for qualify. So it's cool to see like future state, he might be able to do it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's cool. And then other than that, he's also uh, a defensive coordinator for his uh, son's uh, high school football team. Yeah. So. Um, apparently they're good yeah. <laughs> all right so are you, are you guys brainstorming at all about ideas now for like how can we get the whole family together Devin's taking lead on that actually yeah. yeah I mean it's definitely nearing more and more reality as my dad comes near to retirement so it's like okay what are you gonna do well let's try and figure out a family business so we can have him operate and help him become the owner that we've always felt felt like he should be the difference between us and him is that we were willing to not go the you know the tried and true path and so he has all the skill set if not way more than us to run a company really well so we're just eyeing a few things to see if we can set him up basically that would be great yeah is he here in town no he i mean he's he's coming this weekend he he's here all the time my parents live in new york but um they come back all the time. They have we have 
kids and so they're here to see them all the time yeah. not for us but right. for the kids <laughs> <laughs> well great well yeah hopefully we can check in in a year or two and maybe we'll have something to report yeah, yeah that'd be awesome awesome well thank you guys for taking so much time i really appreciate it yeah, thank all you right, for having us this is fun my thanks again to darian and devin michael and folks before you get on with the rest of your week there are a few stories in the latest issue of ibj i want to bring to your attention first up NXG Youth Motorsports teaches children of color and from underprivileged backgrounds about the racing industry through karting and science. Mickey Shuey reports that the not-for-profit is on the verge of a major expansion with a new site and new programs. Also in this week's issue, Susan Orr takes the temperature of the tech community to see if it's recovering from the slowdown earlier in the year. And Taylor Wooten reports that Mayor Hogsett's administration faces an uphill battle with its proposal to change the state road funding formula that now strongly favors rural areas. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm.